0: I've just never been bothered for lack of a better phrase. I remember going when I was like 12 or 13 maybe to my pediatrician at the time and who was just an awesome doctor. And he literally, I had all this acne and he like just asked me point blank. Like, do you want me to prescribe you acne medication? One of the things that I like really remember is just saying like, oh, like no, like why would I? Um, uh, <laughs> and so for better or for worse, um, it's, that's just kind of always been who I am, but yeah, I guess that's transitioned to dating quite a bit as well.
1: Hello, welcome back. We're here for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak, a podcast all about the shared experience of dating. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Ari Schechter. And so, Ari and I became friends later in high school. Our friendship has really blossomed into adulthood. We've had outings that have spanned various cities. So, we have a lot to talk about, and that includes San Diego, LA, Albany, and even Nottingham, England, over the years that we've known each other. And, Ari, works in communications for the ACLU. So she's also my best go-to for political intel and for PR. So welcome, Ari. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on my favorite podcast. Oh, I am so honored that this is your favorite podcast. (laughs) I mean, you have very good taste in media, so that means a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm so excited to have you to discuss, honestly, a variety of things and to dive in like I mentioned, we've had so many adventures across so many cities. And so now you live in New Hampshire, but I wanted to talk about the fact that you were so brave and one of our only friends to dive into the East coast life immediately out of high school.
0: Yes. And the the number one question I have been asked for the last 10 plus years is why the heck are you here from San Diego? <laughs> and at the time of recording this podcast, one of those later winter months where winter has been here for months and the answer sometimes is you know what I don't know right now (laughs) but in all seriousness um, it's been a lot of fun to experience life on the east coast so it's it's been a quite different than San Diego
1: yeah, I feel like that's so cool because for me, it was like, ooh, I'm going to L.A., but it's like literally big deal. You went two hours away, so it's not really that different, even though San Diegans would tell you otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> but I also feel like your experience is so similar to Emily's, a former guest um, from Emily in Ottawa. And she posted the other day that it was like negative six where she is in Madrid. And I was like, I literally can't fathom that.
0: I know it's They're a little bit farther north than I am in New Hampshire and get so much more snow and it is so much colder. So as much as I tend
1: to complain, she is in a a much colder and snowier place than I. (laughs) Yes, yes. So going along our riveting topic of the weather. So the first time I visited (laughs) Ari after she moved to New York, I got to go on this trip to New York for college. And so Ari was still in school as well honestly, that was one of the most fun nights ever. And I was just like, what is this crazy state where like, I remember we went to this liquor store and it was just like a very different experience than buying alcohol in LA. I'll leave it at that. And so I remember Ari and I are getting ready to go out together. Like she comes to the hotel that I'm staying at. And I had brought this like infamous zipper dress that I had bought specifically for a party bus. So it's literally like not even fit for public like consumption. Like I bought it at, Charlotte Russe for like $20, but it was like my favorite thing. And so I brought it and I bought these strappy heels. And I remember I was like, should I wear this? Or is that so crazy? And you're like, no, absolutely not. You should definitely wear it. And it wasn't even snowing or anything like that. And I was like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm just going to get frostbite.
0: (laughs) I'm pretty, I don't know why I remember the month, but I'm pretty sure it was November of whatever year it was in.
1: You um, know, it was actually March. So it was, was just cold March? March. Oh yeah. I, so I think I that's why, why I packed it. Because <laughs> it was cold enough to be November. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I remember the pictures from that night and it was a great dress. The pictures will stand the test of time. <laughs>
1: At least I looked good. I think I told my mom about it. And so this is one of my famous mom quotes. That's typical savage mom. And she was like, I can't believe you wore that out. People probably thought you were a prostitute. It is New York City. It was a great dress. It was trendy. Everybody, I'm sure. Trendy. Yeah. I don't know if we can call Charlotte Russe trendy, but that's very kind of you. Oh, my gosh. Um. So I guess I have to ask, like, what was behind your decision to make such a drastic move for college? Yeah, I was really
0: determined to move to the East Coast. Uh, New York City was definitely in my sights, and I only applied to to one school in New York City, two schools in upstate New York, and then one of the schools that was in San Diego, just just in case something didn't Mm -hmm. work out. Um, And ended up going to the State University of New York at Albany, which is about two and a half hours north of New York City. And the first time I ever even visited the campus was during my orientation. So definitely an unconventional for a lot of people who would Mm -hmm. take the college tours. I just had a feeling it would work out and be great and really took that chance. And I'm I'm so glad it did work out. Uh, Being much older now in hindsight, I kind of can't believe that I did that, but it was wonderful.
1: (laughs) You know what? I feel like we were all, we thought we were very prepared as we were making college decisions. But even for myself, I only applied to schools in California and I was very much like, I thought that I was going to go to grad school at NYU. That was like my dream. And lo and behold, it is how many years after we graduated college? Eight, nine years, haven't gone to grad school. So I only applied to these California schools and I loved UCLA. Don't get me wrong, but I was like, that was pretty short-sighted. So,
0: well, yeah, it's, it, it speaks to the nature of who knows what is going to to
1: happen and just got to yeah. enjoy where you are. <laughs> so aside from the weather, what were some of the biggest adjustments making such a crazy move like that? Well, I will say uh, some of the, the biggest adjustments I think has been kind of the, the
0: working attitude. When I moved um, back to Albany, New York for full-time of working and not just being a college student, There really is that. I think it's pretty stereotypical of being in New York of just that the grind of work is different Mm. and the Mm. intensity of people at work is different. And I didn't think too much of it at the time, but looking back and getting to talk to you and other people that really began their careers on the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast where I was, uh, I think the day-to-day is just a little bit different. Uh, and I remember the first time I stepped out of the car with my dad for the orientation I previously mentioned for college, <laughs> like the first thing we heard was a mom who was like screaming at her daughter, who was also getting out of the car, like, <laughs> go get the dog, like make sure you don't steal the coffee!" And I was just like,
1: where am I? And yeah, so it, it
0: it's weird. just uh, an introduction since
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> It's like no nonsense. Like there is no easing you in. Like you're just, you're just diving right in head first.
0: Exactly. It is
1: so in your face um,
0: and, and so blunt so much of the time. So yeah. <laughs> it's been fun though.
1: So as you kind of navigated the dating scene, starting when you were in college, did you notice any major differences between the archetype of like an East coast boy versus a West coast boy? Yeah. There's definitely just different
0: types of groups of people that are interested in different things and approach dating in different ways. And I I think there's some groups of people on the West Coast that just don't exist on the East Coast and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I went to college, like I said, in Albany, New York. So it's very close, but far enough away for a lot of people from Long Island to attend school Mm -hmm. there. Um, But far enough away for them, because it was probably four or five hours. That is just a community in itself. And so like getting used to like what... Guys from there are like, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to the easygoing, like maybe surfer, low key approach of a, a Southern, yeah. South, Southern California guy. But yeah, and then and then moving on into my later adult years was interesting, especially in Albany specifically it is such a transient town because so many people mm-hmm. move to work in state government. That's the capital mm-hmm. of New York State and is where state government headquarters are located. And so many people move there without an attachment for the city at all and just from all different areas. And so that was much more fun and felt a little more comfortable and around like-minded people.
1: Were there any things that you were like, oh, I do miss this about people on the West Coast, specifically when it came to dating or alternatively things that you were like, oh, this is way better. And like, it's kind of an upgrade.
0: Well, I only have the experience of like dating while very young in San Diego Mm -hmm. specifically. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a really different environment than... The hustle of LA or Mm -hmm. San Francisco and Silicon Valley now. So I did find it different just based on where I was that people were extremely career motivated. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas being, you know, between a teenager and then as a young adult in San Diego, people weren't really there yet and weren't in a rush to get there.
1: Very true. And I feel like the times when we would go back home and like go out and maybe meet guys, it was like, a lot of nights in Pacific Beach, so you know it's not exactly like your high-powered executives that are frequenting the bars there. I hate to say it. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very different priorities. <laughs> and it's it's so
0: funny going back when we went back out in PB. You know, we would see so many people from our high school there every time mm. we went out, no matter what bar yes. we were at, um, and people you know that are. Living in PB and loving that area. It's it's such a a fun place to go out. I do miss it.
1: (laughs) I know. I was gonna say I do too. Like there was always gonna be some crazy story that would like come out of the night.
0: Mm -hmm. If you had a good night out in PB, there's always a crazy story.
1: (laughs) Yes. Even if it was like tangential. Like I think there was one night I remember where it's like I was leaving a bar and like these two guys get out in a fight because one of them just like starts peeing and he gets like pee on some stranger's shoe. And I was like, yep, that's PB. You could have told me that story without knowing where it was and asked me where I thought it was. And I probably would have said PB. It's like that TikTok trend. It's like, tell me you're this without telling me. It's like, tell me you went out in PB without telling me you were in PB. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So going back into like your career and like I mentioned earlier, you now work for the ACLU and I think it would be so interesting for listeners to hear, you know, how did you get interested in politics to begin with? How did your career path kind of progress to get you where you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I will just note, of course, everything I say on this podcast does not represent the opinion of my current or former employers.
1: But... What a professional
0: <laughs> got it. Got to throw it in. But yeah, I would say growing up where we did in San Diego, being a more progressive part of the country has always been kind of instilled in me growing up. And then I honestly didn't have plans to get into to politics or civil rights um, until I had an internship actually at the, while in college at the New York State Department of Parks, so like state parks, mm. and I was just mm. doing marketing for them and my boss there who is just so amazing. I asked him if I should apply, honestly, just because I thought it would be fun um, to an internship Mm -hmm. in the governor's office. And he was like, absolutely. And it was so funny because he actually ended up taking a job in the governor's office right when I started as an intern there. And so just kind of fell into it that way and and really just anticipated being an intern in that office and, and learning as much as I could. And when they asked me to come back for a job, After I had moved back to California, I, of course, had to drop everything and do it. I had had such a good internship. So I moved in the middle of January. And if you are a listener on the East Coast or somewhere where winter um, (laughs) is prevalent, you will know what that means. And so moved back. (laughs) I (laughs) I lived on one of my best friend's couches for three months. So I looked for an apartment because they're so scarce in the middle of winter on the East Coast sometimes. And really just started falling in love with doing that kind of work. Um, so I moved around a couple of times uh, after I started that, and then eventually took what I consider to be my absolute dream job at the ACLU Aww. in New Hampshire. So it's it's Aww. been a fun experience and getting to work on a lot of really pressing issues along the way.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I love that you've had such a wide array of experiences and clearly you made such an impact early on. And they were like, we need to get this girl back. And it definitely your professionalism shows even with your disclaimer before diving in just now.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I have to I won't say your name, but I have to give a shout out to the person who knows who they are that was my uh supervisor during the internship who really got me in um and saw the potential in me. And I'm forever grateful to them.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. You have, you always have to like keep those people who kind of shaped your early career in mind. Makes such a difference. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I remember the next time, I think this was the second time, or I guess maybe just the first time post graduation that I visited you and we went out in the political district in Albany um, on my last night that I was staying with you. I remember it had such a distinct vibe and it was a very like it wasn't any crazy bar or anything like that. But I remember looking around at all the guys who were like still out after like nights that they were finishing up work and like in their suits. And I was just like, this is so sexy. But it also had like kind of a schmoozy, very insidery vibe. And so I kind of wanted to get your take on what it's kind of like to go out with people who work in the political field and what the nightlife and like bar scene is kind of like within that world. Absolutely. And I don't know if other state capitals are like
0: this, but I'll just kind of lay the groundwork a little bit, at least for the Albany area, downtown Albany has basically just one big campus of where a majority of all of the state office buildings are located. So no matter where you work, if you're having a late night and you work in state government, you're probably in downtown Albany And the neighborhood directly next to that, that has what you think of when you think of row houses, you know, all the connected houses, lots of apartments, all in kind of a cute historic area with restaurants and bars nearby. That's what you could easily walk to. And so when you're just doing work, it's so fun, especially if you have a really big win um, or you're commiserating a big loss. Everybody kind of mm-hmm. like walks in, you know, in their workwear, in their suits, in their dresses, in their pants, whatever you wear mm-hmm. to the local bar and is either celebrating or commiserating together. But it's so funny when you're dating because that means you see all of the same people. Or it could just be mm-hmm. totally platonic, but there's always people that you know around. They're always watching. People always see you. <laughs> and so it's it's a a little place where everybody kind of, you know, you always got to make sure you, you look around before and see if you know somebody there.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. How stressful. Yeah. Also, what I'm hearing is um, when you work in politics, it's very like win or lose. We still booze after work. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I (laughs) love that. Honestly, that's so great. And what you're describing about kind of like the community and how close knit it is and how well everyone knows each other. Obviously, this is like a very different scene. But I know what previously when we were talking, we kind of talked about how when I was doing Teach for America, it was kind of similar because it's like At first, it's a very high concentration of recent grads. And I know in politics, it's a wider array of people, but I imagine you're still kind of like congregating with the people who are closer to your own age. And they also fit a very distinct archetype. And so I feel like those two things result in very incestuous tendencies, you know, just having any concentration of very like-minded, successful, young, attractive people, it's going to result in that. Have you kind of seen that as well earlier in your career? absolutely
0: <laughs> yeah with, again <laughs> without getting into too many details cuz i know some yes. of the folks involved will be listening i think it's probably similar with wh- exactly what happened in teach for america where you have just a mm-hmm. uh, younger group of people they're all mm-hmm. motivated they're all smart they're all in the exact same type of community that you are and would probably date in and you're together you know 16 hours a day probably so Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that naturally happens.
1: Yeah. I remember when I first joined to teach for America, it's like they put us in dorms for our training period. And that was a period of, I think it was just a month that we were like staying in these dorms. And so when I first joined and I go to orientation, I remember being like so surprised at how many attractive guys there were because not that people at UCLA weren't attractive, but I have to say the people in the biology major at UCLA were not (laughs) as attractive. So it was like a nice surprise. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So if you had to describe a kind of an archetype of what the man who goes into politics is like, how would you go about describing that?
0: I would say that first of all, they probably love a suit and love talking about how they get it fitted and maybe even the material (laughs) that it's made of. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) That being said, I know a lot of people that just wear a suit because they have to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, you always have like a a good haircut that you care a lot about. It really does depend. But I think a lot of times, you know, that that ego and that desire to do really well and be motivated at any cost and succeed at any cost is something I very much see is, you know, always in a suit, very much cares about the haircut um, and just so, so, so career driven that you should not be surprised if they are up at 2.33 a.m. responding to emails and then up again. Oh at my seven. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: That's so admirable. And that kind of alludes to that like sexy vibe that I got when I went out with you in Albany. But at the same time, that's very high pressure and so intimidating.
0: It is high pressure. And looking back, I try really hard in my current job, which is also a high pressure job is to not really try to stress myself out and overwork myself. I I really mm-hmm. take a lot of time to say, okay, like, am I having a good work-life balance here? Because I don't want to burn out. I love what I do and I want to keep doing yeah. it. Whereas I look back and I don't even know how, when I was, you know, 21, 22, 23, going out in the political scene, like
1: out yeah. until two up at six. Yeah. How did I do that? <laughs> I couldn't do that now. <laughs> it's so Impressive. And I know that when we went out, when I visited you most recently, which was like three years ago at this point, I was even talking to you and saying like, okay, bars are open so late. So you know how like when you're just out and you're having a good time, sometimes you just like keep going until places close. So we were out (laughs) until 4 a.m. And I was like, Literally, A, how do people not have liver poisoning? B, how do they have any money at all, like going out buying mm-hmm. these expensive drinks for all hours of the night? Like, it's it's pretty wild. Yes, definitely. And
0: not intending to weigh in an opinion on whether bars should or should not be allowed to be open this late, but... Luckily in the area that I lived in Albany, there was some laws that I know the restaurants are fighting, but they were only able to be open until two. And so that's unlike the rest of the state. Um, And so it made it a little bit easier when you were at your, at your local celebrating
1: something. (laughs) Yeah. They're probably like, we need our people in government to be functioning, not functioning (laughs) alcoholics. so." (laughs) So I know we've talked about the fact that you actually have not dated anyone who works in politics. And so I would love to hear, is that like, would you say it's a conscious decision or just kind of like, oh, something that never really happened? It's so funny because when we were talking about that, I
0: I originally didn't think too much of it. And I've thought about it a bit since, and I just can't decide where it lies between it was a conscious decision or not. And I think it was Mm -hmm. more unconscious because the type of person that at least I was working with while I love so many of my guy friends that work in politics so dearly and think they are incredible people. And I have nothing bad to say about them. I Mm. just saw so much that I, it just did not interest me on a romantic level. And when Mm. I go home to a partner, you know, I don't want to necessarily be talking about work. I'm not personally interested in being in that kind of power couple dynamic where You're talking Mm -hmm. about work and you're also talking about your relationship. And that's just personally not for me. And so I have had so much fun um, in my earlier 20s just dating people um, that have so many different backgrounds other than politics.
1: Yeah. And I totally get that. I also agree that it's so nice to have someone who you can connect with about different things, because if you date someone who's in the same field, it's so hard to separate that and not take your work home with you and just want to like continue to vent and feed off that energy. And so I, I totally understand where you're coming from.
0: Again, like I have so many close friends that I was with for 16 hours a day on end. And I think of course. At some point, you're gonna develop like a little work crush, whether that's anything serious or not. And it's to think mm-hmm. about your work crush and you're like you're talking shop at 2 a.m. and then you're going to sleep and you're waking up and doing more work. That's not what I want out of my actual partner. Yeah. I don't wanna think about work when I'm with them all the time, at least. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I realize I've never explicitly asked you this question. So since you don't date guys in politics, how would you describe your type? That's such a good question. I I'll, I
0: laugh because I always think of I don't know if you've seen this reality show called Love Island. Specifically. I have I've heard great things. If you like reality TV, it's amazing. I wouldn't. I don't recommend it for being anything <laughs> other than what it is. But the UK version specifically. By the way, it's a very big undertaking. Each season is fifty hours, so it's a very. Oh my gosh! I did not expect that. And they are always talking about their type on the show, and I had never really considered it as something that people talk about before. I watched that show; like they would literally be like, "My type is brown hair, and he is funny, and he loves his mom, and like all of these things." So, like, this is my type. And if you look back at the people I personally have had crushes on or been romantically interested in or dated, they just really are totally across the board. And I would say I don't have a type. My, I think the one thing that kind of like goes through all of them is for some reason, I really dig like responsibility and just somebody that is like comfortable
1: with themselves and responsible for their their place in the world. So I mean, those are very attractive qualities. Like it makes sense. Like you want someone who's going to be like having a good head on their shoulders, has their shit together. So that makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: So when it comes to your approach to dating, one thing that I've always admired about you so much is that you are so confident. And so I wanted to kind of dive into that. And like, first of all, where did this confidence come from? Do you feel like it comes naturally? Do you have any tips about like how to exude this confidence kind of when you're looking for a partner?
0: Yeah, I'm so
1: sorry though, but Leslie, can I ask you, what is your type? I've never asked you that. Oh <laughs> that is a fair question. And I think similar to you. So if I look at all the people who I've like seriously dated who've been a boyfriend, I think if you lined them up, no one would be like, ah yes, this makes sense. I think would be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I would say I also don't really have a type. I think when people ask me, What are you looking for in a partner? The main thing that I will say is like somebody who inspires me to be a better version of myself. And that can be in a multitude of ways. Like, is it somebody who inspires Mm -hmm. me to like work hard because they're very career oriented? Is it someone who is just like very intellectual and can hold intellectual conversations and inspires me to be well informed about the world? That's also very important. And I definitely wouldn't have said this like a few years ago, but I think after a multitude of experiences, I would value above almost anything else, someone who I just feel very comfortable with early on. And that's not to say like, oh, I don't care about the spark because I feel like sometimes people can think if you're too comfortable with your partner, it means that like you're friends and there's no chemistry. No, the spark can be there, but they can also like make you feel very comfortable in who you are and your sexuality and all that stuff. So that's very important. And yeah, I do have like some physical preferences, but it's not like they're I don't have any deal breakers in terms of what someone looks like. So I wouldn't even like write that into my type.
0: I have to tell you, I, I feel like it's the exact same for me. And you've said mm-hmm. it so much better than I ever could of it kind of That's almost it it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter necessarily like what somebody looks like, but it's really just um that they make you feel comfortable, that you know they're comfortable. Um and that they are intellectually there where you want them to be. So,
1: yeah, no, totally.
0: That's so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten to ask, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. We've never really asked each other that. So it's good to talk it out. (laughs) A little Samantha Carey moment. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. So, yeah, that's the perfect transition because you have that Samantha confidence. And so for anyone who is living under a rock, we are speaking about the, I would say, Okay, this is controversial. I would say the two leads of Sex in the City, but um <laughs> and so I unfortunately am the carry of um, our four-person friend group, which includes Arielle and Amanda, who have also been on the podcast. And Ari is clearly our Samantha, and it really just like is because First of all, yes, she works in PR, so does Samantha Jones, but it is more the confidence and that energy that you exude that I think attributes that character to your personality.
0: Yes, and I think um, the other two in in the Sex and the City grouping who have also been guests on this podcast, I think we all really found ourselves in... Just kind of the deeper personality, especially with Samantha, rather than the mm-hmm. rampant sleeping around, which I do not do <laughs> at all. Um, yes, but yes. it's just simply not me. But it's been a lot of fun over the years to kind of compare um, where we are as, <laughs> as with uh, Leslie being more of a Carrie and now having a
1: podcast on dating. Uh, you know, I think we were pretty I accurate. Know when we decided honestly. this when we were 18. <laughs> and it's so sad because I think as soon as I started the podcast and I also resurfaced this blog that I had, I had honestly started it in college, but it was so short lived that it was easy to like sweep it under the rug. But now that I'm like going public with this, I'm like, I guess you're really just leaning into being to carry the group.
0: <laughs> but Carrie is the best friend, the most compassionate person. She is the person you call when something's good or something's bad, that you value her feedback back that you just so deeply value her friendship and that you can go out with until 4 a.m. and have the best time talking to guys. So
1: <laughs>
0: I well, thank love you. my you Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least she has some positive qualities. Yeah. So we'll just There's like forget about all, all the horrible qualities. things that she's done. <laughs> I mean, do you own a pair of Manolo bonnets? You know what? I do not. I thankfully do not, and I will also say I'm not in crippling debt. So there's exactly, that. exactly. So,
0: <laughs> I I like to think that everybody in that group before that I mentioned, including you, we embody the positive aspect.
1: You're so right. You're so right.
0: <laughs> but the confidence, yeah. I I honestly wish I had a better answer. Um, I think that it's something that I've just never been. Bothered, for lack of a better phrase. I remember going when I was like 12 or 13, maybe to my pediatrician at the time and who was just an awesome doctor. And he literally, I had all of this acne and he like, just asked me point blank. Like, do you want me to prescribe you acne medication? And oh I was just like, such a defining like moment for me. And if you know me, like personally, I, I don't like Uh, think back to kind of childhood early memories that often, like they're just not um, Mm -hmm. at the forefront of my mind a lot of the time. But that's like one of the things that I like really remember is just saying like, Oh, like, no, like, why would I? (laughs) Oh, I love that so Uh, (laughs) much. (laughs) And so for better or for worse, um, it's, that's just kind of always been who I am. But yeah, I guess that's transitioned to dating quite a bit as well is just being kind of that excitement, I think that of getting to know somebody, whether it's going to be a good first date or something you don't ultimately end up pursuing, you're just looking for your person, right? So to be as, as much as you and as confident as you can, and if it doesn't work out, then on to the next one. That's okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love that attitude so much because I feel like Especially let's say you're going through a string of dates and like maybe a few of them haven't gone well in a row. I feel like it can be so easy to get in your head and like tie your self-worth into this. But at the end of the day, it's fine. A person isn't your person, you have to move on. It's easier said than done, but it's such a great reminder to just have that attitude and kind of move forward and be unbothered, like you said.
0: Yes. And too I have to say, too often I think of the infamous RuPaul phrase. Uh if you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? <laughs> yes, <laughs> be happy with so yourself. True. And um of course, I don't mean to sound like I don't have insecurities or you know anything like that, but I've just always been at peace with where I am, <laughs> even if yeah. it's not the best I can be.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, and we all should strive to be like that. <laughs> So I guess another thing that we were talking about earlier, I was admitting how I am very conflict-averse, and that can also apply to dating. I think earlier on in my, like, app dating days, you know, I would give people a lot of chances, and then I'd be like, oh, like, I don't want to say something that's going to hurt their feelings. So then when I would try to end it, I would, like, end it in a way that was – too vague because they wouldn't really like fully understand. They'd be like, oh, so you want a break for like two weeks and then we can go out again? I was like, no. So I thought that when I was describing all of this to you, I was like, oh, but you're surely not conflict averse. And then you corrected my assumption. But the key distinction was that your avoidance had to do with clarifying how serious a relationship might be when the guy might have thought like it was more serious than it actually was. So I'd love to hear about that and like how that's manifested itself in your previous like dating experience.
0: I would say when I look back that I am not necessarily proud of how I handled situations. I, and I think so many people would agree. Like I, I have so many shower conversations in my head again um, <laughs> of how I would have handled things differently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But no, I feel like a real asshole a lot of the time when I look back and I think of (laughs) of lovely, wonderful individuals who have wanted more and I either like ghosted them or probably less clearly than now. um, The last time I was single, I think things have changed a lot and people have become Mm -hmm. a lot more open about rejection since then. Um, Mm -hmm. But at least at the time they're like, I would love to take you to dinner. I'm like, well, I don't think that that's what I would like to do with you. So, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's yeah, such a yeah. diplomatic way of being like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe
0: not even at the time that it would be that blunt. Um, but I don't think I've ever, I will say like, I do regret the way that I sometimes went about not going on dates, but I did not go on a date that I didn't want to go on,
1: which is, that's very admirable though. You know, like, I think we're all, we all learn gradually. It's like, no one kind of comes out of this really ready to be like the best version of themselves and the most mature and the best communicator. You kind of have to like go through a few flubs and awkward conversations before you kind of get there.
0: I, I totally get where our parents are coming from now. Like, Man, if I had my brain now, when I was 21,
1: I would crush it. I would be so good. I I would be unstoppable. Like, honestly, it would maybe be problematic.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
1: You and me taking New York would be on a different level. True Samantha (laughs) and Carrie vibes. (laughs) so you mentioned that like, you know, as I think our society has gotten more open and more mature as a whole. And I I know that also has to do with age, but I do think that there, there is more transparency around having those conversations and being like, send the anti ghosting text and all of that stuff. So in the past, when you were still dating, did you have any notable breakup reactions from guys where it's like you had people who just like really did not take the news? Well, lashed out anything that stands out
0: honestly, I feel really lucky in that I didn't have anything that really stands out. Um, I had, I was very briefly on the dating apps, um, when they were like first coming to prevalence in New York city. And I was like there for Mm -hmm. work. And I had a couple of like, even just on the app of like, Oh, like, you know, I don't see this going further, but thank you kind of thing. And having them be like, well, I see you're only this many miles away and just feel like really creeped out by that. Ew. Um, but in person, I feel very lucky, um, which is honestly quite sad to say that I haven't found myself in any equally creepy situations or had anybody that was outwardly that upset.
1: Yeah. That's really great. And I feel the same. Like I haven't had, I mean, I have had the people going back to my inability to be super clear early on when I was trying to let people down, I've had those people who followed up and not gotten the hints, but I haven't had anyone who's like lashed out. And I feel like you hear those stories and I'm like, Oh my God, like who are these men? Yeah.
0: Like you see all of those, I say, TikToks now, but, um, Mm -hmm. like just general posts on the internet of women who are like, Hey, like, I think you're really nice, but I don't think this is going to work out. And then they say all of these like expletives back and just,
1: you know, showing the patriarchy is alive and well. (laughs) Yeah, truly, (laughs) truly God. And it's like, wow, way to just confirm my decision. Thank you. Truly. And
0: like I said, I'm fortunate to not have gone through those experiences, but I hope that's exactly how those
1: individuals feel is okay. Great. I really, I really dodged one here (laughs) a hundred percent. Totally. So you mentioned that you were on the apps for a brief period of time and it was kind of when they first came out. So obviously the app culture has changed so much. How would you describe it when it was still shiny and new and people were still figuring it out?
0: Yes. So I just to note for those listening, the reason I keep referring that to that in the past is I've been in a relationship for the last almost seven years. Um mm-hmm. so right before that, I did get on the apps for a couple of months. And at the time it was only, I think Tinder it was like the only one that was mainstream at that point. And I remember my friend who introduced me to it and was just like, you just you gotta give it a try, like go for it. Mm-hmm. And It was so interesting being in a smaller city like Albany rather than Mm -hmm. a big city like L.A. or New York because once you got to, like, the end of your list, that was it for, like, another day. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you were swiping, like, it would end. And not everybody that was single was – obviously, people still aren't now, but – there was a lot less people that were willing to be on the mm-hmm. apps, especially in a city like Albany, kind of like what we were talking about before with the ego and being so career driven. It's like, well, I don't want somebody to like, see me. Like at the time yeah, there was still yeah. kind of that stigma. And so I remember mm-hmm. one of my friends being like, no, you, it's so fine. Like you just got to get on, like, just do it. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, and so I did. And it was a lot of fun, but yeah, really interesting being in a city like Albany it.
1: Hmm. I can imagine. And so, since it was still kind of niche, would you say that you had more experience meeting men in the wild versus meeting them on the apps at that time?
0: Yeah, definitely. I met my now partner in the wild, um, and I met up with I would say more than a few, but less than a bunch of people from Tinder. And I was able to weed out who I thought would be um, more of a, a good match for me than not. Um, and none of them necessarily worked out in the long run. And it was so new at the time that I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, Leslie, because I meant to ask this to you. I felt like at the time it was, especially with just Tinder, everything was taken a little bit less seriously. Like there wasn't the app for I'm looking for a relationship like there just wasn't that distinction yet between apps like it was just yeah tender. and so I remember inviting specifically one person I was just like out with two friends I was like come meet us and mm-hmm. we just like all hung out and then like I just even left without saying goodbye and it was just like <laughs> just never talked again and it was fine but I feel like now if you met somebody especially on based on what I understand like bumble or hinge. Like if you did that, that would be just probably so rude.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think you're so right. But one thing I will say, I think that is, still something that maybe younger generations do. I started listening to this podcast and they haven't alluded to anything where it's like, oh yeah, like they just invite people out to their, with their friends, but they are two 23 year old women who talk about their experiences dating. And it does seem like it's very, it's still very casual. Like one of the girls was talking about how, you know, she's like, yeah, it's just so hard because I'll go on these dates and I'll like pregame them. And then I get too drunk and I'm like, I don't even remember what we talked about. So I'm like, that does seem like the early, Early days of like being on the apps, kind of like the vibe that people had more so, but it's like, yeah, I guess that's still alive and well, depending on how old you are potentially. That is incredible. <laughs> I love that so
0: much, but that makes a lot of sense as well as being younger mm-hmm. and what you expect from
1: a dating experience when you're younger. Totally. I have to ask you, did you ever have the app grouper? No. So, okay, grouper, it was a wild time and it was popular, I want to say the first two years, maybe even just the first year after we graduated college, at least in LA. And so the reason why I primarily knew about it, I had a couple of friends in Teach for America who would go and they were like, it was these two guys and they were like, yeah, you know, we'll just go out and like, we'll get really drunk and like, just hang out with these girls. And it was very much kind of like what you were describing where it's like, oh, just meet my friends. Like concept is, you were meeting as a pair of, or sorry, no, it was a trio. So it was even crazier. So it was three people, you and two of your friends, and it was an app where they would match you. And only one person would make a profile, which I'm like, that's an interesting approach because then the other two people are essentially they're on like a blind date. Yeah. (laughs) And so it sets you up. It's like you pay 20 bucks and then they pay for your first round of drinks. You meet at this one bar and then the rest is just the wild, wild west, like whatever happens, happens. So it's like, yeah, it's six singles together. And I actually went on one grouper date with my friend, um, Nandini and it was not fun at all. It was so unfortunate. Like it, the guys were not fun. They were like argumentative. Like they invited us to a second bar even after we'd gotten this fight. And so me being the optimist was like, okay, maybe they like want to clear the air and like give it a second shot. And like two of them just disappeared. One of them asked us like, what would you ladies like to drink? And like, he places his order with the bartender and he's like, I'll just have a water. And then he like leaves. And I was like, literally, what was the point of even inviting us to this second bar? It was unfortunate because I think other people had a really great time and it was just like very casual and fun, but that was not my experience.
0: See, I wish something like that had existed because that seems like something I would try so many nights of the week when I was out, when I was single. Um, but no, that definitely didn't exist in Albany and <laughs> Nandini is awesome. So any th- group of guys would have been lucky to have been matched with you on grouper. So
1: <laughs> honestly, yeah, we were talking about it just yesterday and I was like saying, yeah, you know, like I've never really been on a blind date. And she was like, yes, you have. And then she's like, that <laughs> grouper date. And I was like, okay, that does not even count. You know, like I'm still with you. And like, our other mutual friend. So it's not like just meeting a stranger who you've never met. It's like, okay, even if they suck, you're still with your girlfriend. So does that still exist or has that
0: gone away? It doesn't
1: exist anymore. Um, so shameless plug for a previous episode I had done, I interviewed the founders of this dating app called foreplay and at First glance, it's kind of like Grouper because you sign up with a friend and then you go on double dates. But the difference, there are a lot of key differences. The main one being you like make a profile and then you match yourself. So it's not like a matchmaking thing. It's not like some of the people are blind dates. But um, yeah, Grouper did not make it, but foreplay Play is in New York and in London, um, not yet anywhere else, but coming soon. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it does sound like a blast. <laughs> So you mentioned that you're in a relationship and I really wanted to dive into that and how you guys met and got started. And I think that the story of how you met is kind of a testament to your confidence and the fact that you approached him first and would love to just hear how that unfolded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So his name is Nick. Nick and I um, have been together in May-ish of 2021. It'll be about seven years Not a huge anniversary person, so it's like, that's why I say May-ish, but (laughs) we, in Albany, New York, as I mentioned several times previously, um, it's a smaller feeling type of city, and so there is a uh, weekend every year that's called Tulip Fest, and it's literally Mm -hmm. like the big park in the center of downtown Albany has tulips in it and everybody comes and celebrates. And so it's like lots of carnival food and musical acts. And they usually get recognizable names that are a couple of years old and it's a great time. And the city of Albany goes out to celebrate it. And so I remember, you know, at least in in the lore of the story it being in the 3am hour of (laughs) such a weekend night and (laughs) Uh, Nick was smoking outside of a bar, and he he no longer smokes. But I I have to tell you, it was a long day of celebrating, so I don't know what my opening line was. I remember <laughs> memories more in like feelings than visuals or anything else, and I just remember mm-hmm. knowing that I had such a good line to him, like whatever it was. I was like, this was great, nailed um, it, <laughs> and said something to him about smoking, and walked in, um, and over the course. I was with two guy friends who were like, all right, it's 3 a.m. It's time to go home. And I was like, no, but I I think this guy is really cute. And they're like, all right, you're just, you're going to meet now and figure it out. Um, And so I remember (laughs) the next morning um, waking up and being like, I feel like I told somebody I would watch Jurassic Park with them. Which is oh for God. me is very weird because like I was deeply <laughs> traumatized by Jurassic Park as a young child <laughs> and would never agree sober to watching that oh with God. anyone. And I was like, I just feel like I told somebody I watched Jurassic Park with them. And I like nothing else. Like my memory of like approaching <laughs> and having that good line honestly came later. In the morning, hmm. I don't remember doing that. I was just like, wow, I really felt like I told somebody this. And then I just, I'm like, okay, whatever. Get along with my day. And at 3 p.m., I get a text. So, dot, 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 Jurassic Park.
1: <laughs> oh, whoa, my God. I was like, like there I, it knew it is.
0: It. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And obviously, I said absolutely not. I am not going to watch Jurassic Park. Um, I think it was playing at the like local kind of hipster theater at the time, so it wasn't oh, it wasn't okay. like a Netflix and chill thing. Yeah. But I was like, no. And so, <laughs> so we met at one of my favorite dive bars, and honestly, have just been inseparable ever since. Aww. We <laughs> he was on the exact same page because he made sure in a story to tell me his name in the third person so that I would know his name. Um, and I did not Aww. return the favor. So he, it took him like two dates to figure out what my name was.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, and it's just, been okay, so how did he
1: eventually figure it out?
0: <laughs> that's a really good question. I honestly can't remember. I want to say he might've overheard it on a phone call or something. I can't quite remember, mm. but he will constantly tease me for not telling him in, in a smooth way of what it was like he did for me. So
1: it was in some way that he got it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. I love that detail because (laughs) I have had that happen. Not unfortunately, not with someone who I ended up dating, but I met this person. I don't even have the excuse of being drunk. When I met this person, I actually am just kind of bad with names. Like, especially if it's given like very quickly or I'm caught off guard. And so I was sitting at the bar eating dinner by myself and I met this guy he got my number by the end of the night. And I was kind of like, Ooh, I don't remember his name, but I was embarrassed to ask. And I was like, well, when he texts me, he'll be like, Hey, it's blah, blah, blah. He did not do that. And so we went on another date and I remember being like, uh, like how, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to ask cause I'm on the date. And like, I was thinking maybe like when he put his card down to pay, I would like, swipe a glimpse of it I did not we only went on the one date so I never had to really find a solution but maybe he just got the vibe that like I didn't know his name and couldn't call him by his name that's so funny and it's I feel
0: like it's one of those things where so many people are not named people I am certainly not one of them and so we just we have to normalize re-asking names because we want to make sure you know not only do we know it but that we say it right and that we can yeah.
1: We got to normalize that. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs>
1: Uh, But I digress. So, you know, like you said, you kind of struck up the conversation with Nick and I do want to dive into like how that how your relationship progressed further. But I also wanted to ask, would you say that like kind of when you were out and about on the dating scene, would you typically strike up conversations with guys? And I ask because it's been like a common conversation theme on this podcast, particularly with Denzel about thoughts on women initiating and the frequency with which it happens. Um, I loved Denzel's episode, by the way. Uh, <laughs> highly recommend the listen
0: if you have not yet.
1: So good. So good. Interstate and Tinder dates. Yeah. First one.
0: Um, but yeah, I would say it's relatively common. I think the part of me like uh, would love to just be approached. Um, but often the friends that I have surrounded myself with are much more of the type to just insert themselves in conversation. And I'm kind of along mm-hmm. for that ride a lot of the time. And so I picked up on some of those tendencies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I think, yeah, it can be, it doesn't have to be like going up to someone and being like, Hey, I think you're really cute. Like you can do what you did where you just have like a funny, clever line to start the conversation and then kind of like leave the rest up to them, which I love. And I have to tell you, I wish to this day, I remember what it was
0: because the, the, Again, Same. the feeling that I have was like, girl, that was the best line you could have ever <laughs> said. I, I fully know. believe you.
1: <laughs> and I mean, the relationship length really speaks to that. You know, it's like it was the seven years line. later. Here you still are. <laughs> 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 through thick and thin. It's the like opening line that gets you through all that.
0: One <laughs> of my good friends who you've met um, one of her favorite things in college and shortly after was if we were all in a group and somebody was like, oh, I would like love to talk to that guy. I don't think this is a unique thing, but uh, she <laughs> would just go up to them and their friend group and like drag whoever it was along and put their arm around their shoulder and be like, like, what's going on? And, like, literally just insert herself <laughs> into the conversation. We're, like, oh, like, I see you're talking to my friends. And, like, her, her friends are just oh, now inserted into the combo. I, um, yeah. That is <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. It was, it was the best way, though, because I feel like so many people... Um, When you're out at a bar, of course, not everybody is looking to talk to new people, but a lot of people are. And a lot of people, regardless Mm -hmm. of relationship status, are just willing to say hello and see who, like, hello, fellow human. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: And so it was was so funny seeing her do that a bunch of times. (laughs) That is so amazing. Honestly, that makes me long for a bar outing so much. So after you texted each other and you went on this first date. Like how did things progress? Were you kind of like, Oh, I really like this guy right away. Were you in a place where you wanted to be in a relationship? Yeah. I'm trying to think back here after our first date, we, I think I
0: got in his car because he offered to drive me home, which looking back Mm -hmm. and nowadays don't get in the car, no matter how wonderful (laughs) he seems, but I did. And he dropped me off at home and it was wonderful, but Really, the the only way I can describe it is that it was just, we just didn't separate after that and Mm -hmm. have really been together ever since. We were both the type of people to say, I would say we're both reasonable uh, people that don't typically jump into relationships. And so we're both like, Mm -hmm. you know, when we think about our lives, it was, oh, I wouldn't move in with a significant other until probably like two years kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And we moved in after a year. Which is oh. very small amount of time, and just we're truly inseparable, um, and just hanging out kind of twenty four seven, and it's
1: been that way ever since. <laughs> Especially in quarantine. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Now more than ever. <laughs> yeah. So as you're kind of like progressing since it sounds like things moved pretty organically, like you guys were both mutually interested in each other, of course. So how did the conversations look like about like deciding to be exclusive and like who initiated those conversations or was it just kind of like, Oh yeah, like I'm not seeing other people. You're not seeing other people. And very casual. I think
0: it will come as no surprise for the course of this conversation that I initiated that. And I believe I almost wish Nick was on this podcast because he has a much better memory than I, but I believe <laughs> I phrased it in a way of like, listen, I don't need to be in a relationship with you. But for me, it's important that like, you're only seeing me. So yeah. whether you're the type of person that you <laughs> this is the same thing or not is up to you. Uh, they're not the same mm-hmm. thing to me. Uh, but he was just like, yeah, of course. Um, and Aww. so that's like the only conversation i think we've really had about the seriousness of that at that time and we've obviously had our very uh, wide array of like hard conversations to have as any couple does but
1: those kind of
0: milestones have come really naturally
1: Nice. And I have to jump in and say, I also feel like there's a difference between being exclusive and being boyfriend girlfriend. And I've definitely had one period of time where I didn't even realize someone thought that I was their girlfriend. I like we had agreed to be exclusive. But in my mind, I was like, okay, so you know, we're just like waiting until we're boyfriend girlfriend. And then it was like, actually a while later that I was like, Oh, you already thought I was your girlfriend, which obviously wasn't a problem. I liked this person. But you know, just differences of opinion. It's so interesting how people kind of define those two things differently or really see the validity and differentiating between being exclusive versus being in a relationship. So it's pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah. And, and I have to say, I think you'd even sharing that memory unlocks one of mine, which is now I remember listening. I think like Nick was talking with one of his friends on the phone. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm with my girlfriend. And I was like, oh, okay, cool.
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah I kind of love how casual that can happen sometimes like I was gonna ask like okay was that another big conversation but nice that it just happened organically yeah you've unlocked that memory in me I feel like it's a video game where it's like you've unlocked an additional story from Ari I feel so honored no oh So like you mentioned, you had to have some difficult conversations. And I imagine one of those was centered around when you were long distance and deciding like how you were going to progress your relationship at that time. So I would love to hear about kind of what it was like to come to terms with the decision to do extended long distance and how that kind of progressed until you were able to reunite
0: yeah absolutely so when we were living in albany new york and our kind of shared goal and dream is to move to portland maine not portland oregon mm-hmm. and we we just love maine so so much nick has some history there and we kind of decided that when i was looking for a new job uh, that we would try to move in that direction and so ended up um interviewing and accepting a placement with the ACLU in New Hampshire which is next to Maine and mm-hmm. so we kind of both talked about it and figured it's it's on the way to where we want to be it's it's only a, a couple hours away and so i accepted that role and we you know talked about it and nick had also kind of just started a different part of his career and we really thought it was important for him to have you know like at least 6 months of experience in this new thing that he was so excited to just accept and so i moved out to new hampshire um and he moved into a different apartment in albany area and yeah we we decided to do long distance for about 9 months and honestly it was Um, I've done long distance before um, with somebody who is more than a three-hour drive, which is what Nick and I were. Um, So Mm -hmm. at least for me and the feedback I got from Nick is that it was... Obviously, we missed each other, but we saw each other once every other weekend, so two times a month. It was only a three-hour drive. We shared our dog between us, so it wasn't too much on either of us for a full-time care of the dog. Yeah, it, it was pretty easy, and honestly, I think it uh, really flew by,
1: um, and I, I feel really thankful that it, it did. <laughs> yeah. I love that it was so seamless, and I do feel like that's such a good cadence to see one another. Were there any unforeseen difficulties, like even though it was only like three hours apart and you still got to see each other pretty frequently?
0: Um, I would say just trying to deal with uh, dog care or when I got my new job which I, you know, I had been looking for a while and we just decided to get a dog in the meantime and figure out if it was a puppy at the time, what we would do. He was only like four or five months old. And so mm. it was really honestly just finding dog care was uh, one of our biggest stressors. But no, it, when I look back at it, it really was just pretty seamless. Um, the winter weather, the drive between New Hampshire and upstate New York is through Vermont. And like, honestly through the mountains the winter weather was sometimes oppressive but i wish i had more my my previous long distance relationship i think unearthed a lot more of those long distance difficulties that people go through just because it was so much farther away he was in europe at the time and so there was it was more than every two weeks, because if there was something that like yeah. I wanted to talk about or um, was something we we're excited to talk about, it was just, OK, I'll just wait until next week. Whereas if you're waiting months at a time, that's um, a lot more difficult mm-hmm. to get that like emotional intimacy from that person.
1: Absolutely. And as someone who has kind of had two experiences to varying degrees of being in a long distance relationship with someone you care about, do you have any tips for making it work and like ways to kind of get through it and make it easier on both parties?
0: Yeah. I think as you mentioned earlier, I I think I do see myself as like confident in how I feel, but I'm not the best communicator about it. And as I think so many people would say, it's really just about communication. Um, but it really is. And I think when you're at a distance from your partner, um, it is just so much more obvious that your partner is absolutely not a mind reader. Um, And so (laughs) you just really have to take that into account when you're expressing how you feel or more importantly, probably not expressing how you feel Um, Mm -hmm. and just making that time and honoring the time that you have made to talk to each other, I think is important, but yeah, I, I think long distance relationships do work. It takes a lot of work, but they can work and they do work. Um, and as long as you're both willing to put that effort in that time in and that commitment, in, you will be just fine.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I will say another key call out is like the fact that you knew it wasn't permanent. You know, I feel like yes. if someone moves away and there's no real end game, like the other person isn't planning to move or you're not planning to move back, then As someone who has experienced that directly, it's kind of like, all right, at some point, it's like, where is that going to go? Unfortunately. But yeah, I think having that distinct timeline, I think it's also, it's like helpful for anything that you're going through that's difficult, right? Like you need to have a light at the end of the tunnel and know like, okay, like it's only one more year. It's only six more months. It's only three more months. Mm -hmm. And then I think that kind of helps as you're coping with it, just makes it feel more manageable.
0: A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And especially with this situation I described with Nick, he, we knew he was moving in. He helped me pick out the apartment he wanted to move in with me, too. And so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. But I, I do still say I think it is totally possible to have a wonderful, healthy long-term, long-distance relationship, even if you don't have that like established
1: light at the end of the tunnel. So go for it. Really? You're in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Maybe I'm a little more jaded, but I love that. <laughs> I love that optimism.
0: <laughs> yeah. I will. I'll just note um, for the the previous relationship I was in, that was long distance um, where they were in a different country and I was here, but I don't, we did not break up because of the distance. Um, Mm -hmm, and I, I do feel we had, uh, the communication down and the time commitment down and it was, we would
1: have, it was who we are as people. That is such a testament to who you are because a lot of people would not be able to do that. And you also, I wanted to call out the, Point that you brought up about making sure that you remember your partner isn't a mind reader. It's like so often I feel like in relationships, you can just be like, I'm gonna drop a hint about what I want and hope that they pick it up. But it's like you can't drop hints if someone is 3000 miles away, or even if they're only three hours away. It's like there's no hints to be picked up. So you just gotta put it all out there. Channel that inner Samantha. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And I do, I think I come across this uh, saying that as a better communicator than I am, because I think one of Nick's most common phrases to me is like, what are you thinking? Like, clearly you have something to say, just say it. Um, and so I'm like, okay, you're right. First of all, I shouldn't have to ask you to ask me. Um, and so it's, that's only exacerbated in long distance, but
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that so much, you know, how expressive my face is. So if I'm like thinking like, oh my God, I really want to bring this up, but I'm not ready. It's like, well, if you're in front of that person, the time is now because they're going to be like, what are you thinking about? Like you're clearly really engrossed in like something that's bothering you. So spit it out.
0: (laughs) In the exact same way. Leslie, have I asked you, are you a, I think I texted this to a group text, but Are you one of the people that has an internal monologue or are you more
1: an abstract? I am. Oh, that's so interesting. I am an internal monologue person. Okay.
0: I'm the abstract. And so I think that's why I look like I'm like either lost in thought or thinking about something I want to say is because I, um, in a different way, am, and it expresses through my face. So figure that out. Yeah, (laughs) I
1: don't have an excuse. I just have an overly expressive face that gives me a win. It's so, it really like has the potential to get me in a lot of trouble. It's so unfortunate. On a a night out, the faces of Leslie bring me life. Like (laughs) they are the actress. (laughs) One of my friends literally made a collage of four different, she was just like taking like a burst. And it was like four different faces that I made as someone was telling a story. And also literally my favorite photo of us. I think I have to post it when I'm releasing this episode. It's when we were at Brittany's wedding, we were wine tasting. I wish I remembered what I was showing you on my phone, but your face, it's very composed and you're just looking calmly at it. And I like, I'm looking down and pointing and I'm like looking at you and I'm like, oh my God, it was so dramatic that I'm like, what on earth was I showing you? Cause I was clearly appalled and you were just like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I am uh, I am honored that you think I normally have that face and I remember that photo and I remember exactly what winery we were in and I'm shocked I don't have a similar look on my face as well because normally I'm not
1: good at hiding it. it. It must not have been anything serious that's like the only explanation. I wish I could remember. I re- okay I do remember we were like swiping through profiles at some point because I remember we were swiping for one of our other friends and we were swiping for me I think you had like taken my phone at one oh, point to like definitely. swipe through people yeah. <laughs> so maybe it was a reaction to someone's profile I don't know that
0: yeah maybe they had something like especially wild written on there <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it egregious
0: totally Possible.
1: <laughs> so speaking of people who we aren't happy with. That translates really well into our game that we're going to play. I have been so excited to play this game with Ari. You can't even imagine because we've been trying to record this, a little peek behind the curtain for literal weeks. And so I planned this game weeks ago, and I just haven't had the opportunity to unleash it because, and I always keep the games a surprise to the guest. So Ari has no idea what we're about to play. But in keeping with the theme of her being a Samantha and me being a Carrie, we are gonna play Fuck Mary Kill with Sex and the City Boyfriends. Oh my
0: God.
1: I could not, I
0: have to tell you, as as Leslie alluded to, we've been trying to record this episode for some time, and I've been getting more and more nervous about what the game could be, and I am so excited.
1: It's gonna be, I put a lot of thought into this because I did not only pick you know, the main people, I picked some side characters and each trio has a commonality. So it will hopefully make it a little more difficult for you to pick between them. Okay. And I will say as I like kind of answer the questions, like you might think that I would be smart and like pick out my answers, but I'm like, I want to play too. So I just kind of like pick them. And then I don't really think about it again until we do it on the podcast. So I'll be reacting real time as well. Okay. So the first one, these are the main ones. So the long-term partners were excluding big because, I mean, I think big should obviously be killed. And that's too easy. <laughs> so <laughs> choosing between Steve, Aiden, and Smith Jared. Okay. Easy. <laughs> um, oh. I Obviously, Mary Smith Jared. Um,
0: yeah. No, I'm going to stick with Mary Smith Jared. Fuck Aiden. Kill Steve. Sorry, Steve.
1: Yeah, I think I would do the same thing, actually, because Smith Jared, he is perfect. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I really don't think there was any storyline where he did something where it's like, oh, like this showed one of his flaws. Like he was perfect through and through. Honestly, still a little bit sad that Samantha broke it off with him. Um, And Aiden was a good guy as well, but. I can see like he's a little corny sometimes and a little bit clingy. So I think he's very attractive. He's very nice. I would fuck him also. And Steve, yeah, I think um, he's personally not my type. So he's got to go.
0: Yeah. And I, at Smith Jared was just such a wonderful partner to Samantha. Um, you know, like so loyal, so caring, so thoughtful. Um, and Aiden was also all of those things, but
1: mm-hmm. I just, I relate to Smith Jared more. Yeah. true Samantha. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So next, so these are some of the main exes that our main women had. So first of all, Trey, then we have Richard, Samantha's ex, I guess if you call him that. And then Alex Petrovsky, the Russian
0: Richard was the, he was like very wealthy. Right.
1: And like, yes, the one who Samantha fell in love with. Yeah. Mm Okay.
0: Okay. so i have to tell you i'm like really torn on the uh dump slash kill side of it because like could Hmm. you fuck trey tbd (laughs) 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 um which you know for anybody going through that is okay um um, i I just i so much dislike alex petrovsky um so i think he's gotta go i think he's gotta go and then i think it's
1: Fuck Trey, um, and then Richard.
0: Oh God, that means I have to marry Richard. No, I can't do that either. You can't marry Richard. You're not marrying Richard. <laughs> someone else's pussy. Okay, wait. So okay, no, just rewind for killing Richard. Yeah, I think we're killing Richard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I really we're killing Richard. Um, and then like I mean, I feel like forced into fucking Alex and marrying Trey. I I don't know. What do you? What about you?
1: Okay, I have different thoughts. I. I didn't like Alex Petrovsky either. I don't know why. He wasn't a bad guy, but, like, he kind of skeeved me out, and I don't know why. I I don't have a good reason, but he was skeevy. However, I think I have to default into marrying him because Richard was such an asshole. You know, like, anyone who breaks Samantha's heart like that, and he also gaslit the hell out of her, terrible. Trey was also terrible, and... I don't think I have any interest in having sex with Trey, like even beyond the question of his like ability to. I think even if he did, it would be he would just be saying all righty the whole time and it would be really <laughs> weird. I would kill him. I would fuck Richard. I think he knows what he's doing. And I would kind of go into it being like he's not going to commit. He's not the commitment type, but that's what it is. And then I would have to marry Alex Petrovsky, unfortunately.
0: I get that. I get that. But wow. Alex says... I think the worst part about him is when they'd be out with Alex's friends in Paris and he would just ignore his partner. And it's just not cool.
1: That's true. And his friends were assholes. Yeah. They, they were, were so they were, demeaning. You know, they weren't even nice to her while <laughs> <laughs> So sad. So sad. Yeah. I mean, that's a rough one. Like you, there's no winning coming out of this. Scenario. No, that's not. That is a difficult one. It is a one great three options. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, okay. This one is interesting because these next three people don't really have any commonality except for they are all people who Samantha dated actually more seriously. Like they weren't just hookups for her. So, um, the first person is Maria Reyes. And for those who don't know, Samantha had a brief period of time where she was in a relationship with a woman. She was literally so wonderful. Then there was the turtle, And for people who don't know, the turtle was someone who Samantha really thought was a good guy. She like tried to go out with a good guy for once, but he was just like really boring and like not very cool. So Samantha went through this whole process of like making him over and like making him this really um, appealing guy to other women. And then the third one was named James and Samantha was in love with him. But he had a very small penis. And when she brought it up, um, he did not react well. So you had to pick between those three.
0: Three great exes, first of all. Um, Definitely just off the bat, marrying Maria. Like, I was such a big fan of their relationship. Maria was so dedicated and just seemed like such a wonderful person. Um, So definitely marrying her. And then the other two are a little more difficult. Probably, Mm -hmm. I would say... Huck
1: turtle and kill James. Yes. Sorry, James. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, marrying Maria is a no brainer. Like you would be such a power couple and yeah. she was so great and like, just like so sexy, so wonderful. Mm. The turtle, yeah, he's a good guy. He is husband material. Like, he's not the most exciting, but I would have to kill James. First of all, we know that he was not able to please Samantha, and she tried. You know, like, we know Samantha has, like, a reputation for this sexual prowess, but it's not like she wrote him off. She really gave it a go, and there was nothing there. And when she tried to work through it, he really lashed out, which is a sign of poor character. So I think he has to go.
0: Yeah, when I look back and think about the James period of Samantha's life, it's much less about... Um, what he is working with in bed and much more about how he handled it on a personal level.
1: Yeah, like he should have been willing to find other ways to like make it work. Exactly. You know, like she was willing to, so. Exactly. So, Okay, so the next three, these men are all liars. So we have Vince Vaughn's character, Keith, who met Carrie in LA. We find out that the house he takes Carrie back to is actually Carrie Fisher's, and he's her personal assistant. We have the guy who Miranda met when she was pretending to be a flight attendant. He was a doctor, or so we thought. And then we realized he was lying about being a doctor. And then we have another guy who Carrie dated. She met this guy. He worked at a comic book store, very like stonery. And she goes back to his place, finds out that he lives with his mom. And his mom like yells at them for smoking pot.
0: Now, having remembered who all of these people are, um, because they were amazing characters on the show, I think I have a good (laughs) answer, which was... Um, probably marry the Vince Vaughn Keith character. Um, clearly mm-hmm. is motivated and wants to, you know, do what it takes. Um, even mm-hmm. if that means picking a house. <laughs> um, so marry him. Um, and then fuck comic book guy. Um, because he was fun and I know they had a very good time until his mom yelled at them for smoking on her beautiful balcony yes. as she should. Um, and then Fair.
1: I just you know, no respect for a faker. So that's, that's it's so funny because it's so hard for me because I'm like they all faked something. It, that's and so I'm like, true. what is the most <laughs> important? Like I don't remember what the doctor actually did for a living. It doesn't really matter, I guess, because it's like, okay, if you were lying about your career, that's like a pretty significant lie. Mm -hmm. I think I have to go with what you said as well. I think I would marry Vince Vaughn's character. I also think Vince Vaughn in general, like he's very likable. So that's definitely playing into that. Mm -hmm. Kill the doctor, fuck the comic book guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have one final one. And this is another where you're really going to lose no matter who you pick, (laughs) unfortunately. So... We have the alcoholic and I don't remember how Carrie met him, but it was like, I think he was kind of recovering. He relapsed. And then at one point he like goes to her apartment in the middle of the night and is like yelling at on the street and like strips down to his underwear. He's like, Carrie, Carrie, like, I love you. Like after he relapsed, then we have Berger who broke up with Carrie on a post-it. And then we have Vaughn, who was the guy who Carrie really liked his family, but he was a premature ejaculator and refused to even speak to her about the problem. That's just ejaculated prematurely and she Yes. Yes, okay. yes. And like he when Carrie tried to like talk to him about it, he would not. Similar to James with the small penis. A lot of penis sensitivity in this show. Well, going on
0: actors <laughs> alone. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just you know a Mary Vaughn and work through those things, um, played by okay. Justin Theroux because he is beautiful. Um, he is maybe Fuck Burger, the the Post-it Note breakup, and and off off with the um, boyfriend I'm struggling with alcoholism.
1: So the thing with Burger and Vaughn, they're both so insecure. So it's like with Burger, he. In addition to breaking up with Carrie on a post-it, it was like it was incited because he was just like so self-conscious about her success and his lack of success. And like that's going to be a guy who like just can't commit at all. So I would probably fuck him, but like nothing else. It's like, you know, he's going to get spooked. It's not going to last. I guess I would marry Vaughn because Carrie really liked his family. And maybe you could work through the problem and like, then you get to marry into a great family. So that's a positive. And then I guess I would also kill the alcoholic largely just because I really don't remember much about his personality. So it's like, eh, you're kind of forgettable. So you can go.
0: Yeah. That's why I felt like I had to base that on actors is this must mm-hmm. just be from a season that I haven't watched six times. <laughs> I skip over some of them. And so I'm really struggling mm-hmm. to remember
1: um, some of the intricacies of their personalities. <laughs> That's fair. Honestly, I feel like a little embarrassed for the level of detail that I no, in uh, some of these characters. I'm embarrassed around. for not
0: knowing because I love this show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There are nine seasons and it came out so long ago. So I think it's fair to not immediately know all of these like niche characters.
0: Well, and for so long before, I mean, I don't know how long like the HBO go HBO Max has been a thing, but you really just had to catch a marathon on TV. So those are the ones that I know really
1: well. (laughs) It's so true. And I feel like it was always the same ones, even though I feel like it would run on E all the time. It was still like, oh, I've seen this yes. episode seven times. Like, like, I've why seen is that?
0: Carrie go to the countryside with Aiden and then promptly break up with him after he buys her apartment so many times.
1: <laughs> oh, they love running that episode. That. I don't know what it is. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they love it. It's a real tough one to watch. <laughs> oh, my God. That damn squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> getting real niche for, you know, anyone who is a big fan, deep dive. Well, thank you for indulging me. This has been so much fun. And I would love if we could close out by you telling people where they can find you. Um, yeah, I don't think I would,
0: um, tell people to find me, but I would tell them, um, to go ahead and look up your local ACLU. They are in almost every state fighting for everybody's civil rights day in and day out. Um, I work for the ACLU of New Hampshire, and there is an ACLU of almost every state out there. So go check them out. And if you're looking to get involved, there are so many ways to do so.
1: Love that so much. Thank you. And as always, you can find the podcast on Instagram at Interstates and Heartbreak. And you can find my personal account at Leslie Nope L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thank you, Ari. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.